All right, reading our passage, it is there on your handout. Romans 5, 12 through 19. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment, brought, or the, the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, welcome to RUF. Uh, if you haven't been here before, RUF is a Christian ministry on campus. We're here for Christians and non-Christians to help you figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus in college and beyond. And uh, my name is Willis. I'm the campus pastor. What does that mean, pastor? I don't make this explanation every week, but some, maybe somebody here is wondering, what does it mean that he's a pastor? Like, is he a legit pastor? So I'll just, here's my credentials. So I'm, I'm actually ordained in the Presbyterian Church in America as a minister of the gospel, and I've been sent by my denomination to preach the gospel on this campus, to gather you students around the gospel. Um, educationally, after I got my undergrad, I earned a master's degree in theology called a Master of Divinity uh, from Covenant Seminary, learned Biblical Greek and Hebrew, studied church history, studying the Bible in the original languages, um, learning how to preach, hopefully. <laughs> uh, mainly, though, what it means for me to pastor is that, like, <clears throat> I actually want to help you follow Jesus. I, this is what I love doing. This is what I care about the most in my life, except maybe for my wife and kids. Yeah, it's probably first. But after that, you guys. So I'm here for you, and... If there's anything that you're going through or struggling with or have questions about, like, this is my full-time job because I love it. So don't hesitate to ask, ask to meet, ask a question, come up after and be like, hey, what you said made no sense. What are you talking about? All fair game. Enough said. The one thing, though, that I really want you to know about me is that I'm not a good person. But Jesus loves me, and that changes everything. And he loves you, and that changes everything. And so tonight we're going to see how the love of Jesus changes your ancestry. Ancestry. Okay. Who's done the Ancestry.com thing? Have you done that? Okay, some of you. I haven't done that yet, but like somebody had some research done on like, I talked about my, my mom's side ancestry of the family last night. That was interesting, but a more lighthearted example. So my grandma, um, at her house, she had like, 11 movies on VHS tape 
like the cassettes that you put in the VCR. Yeah, you guys know. And so she had like 11 movies, and one of them was The Princess Diaries. Raise your hand if you've watched it. It's good, right? Guys, you can raise your hand. Admit it. It's a good movie. Thank you. Yeah, it's a good movie. So for those of you who haven't seen it, or just to relive it, for those of you who haven't, it's a good movie. Uh, 2001, starring Anne Hathaway, she plays this girl, Mia Thermopolis. She doesn't really like how she looks. Her friends are kind of the grunge rock emo crowd, and she like loves them, cares about them, but she's also kind of wishing she was part of the more popular crowd. Her mom's kind of an unsuccessful artist. They don't have a ton of money. The boys she likes don't really like her, and the boys she doesn't really like do like her. Um, but then, and honestly, I can't really remember how it happens exactly, but <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong afterward. Then somehow she discovers that her long-lost father, who like left when she was a baby or something for some reason, is actually the king of a totally not fictional country called Genovia. <laughs> and that means she is not only a princess, she's the only daughter of her father. She's like the heir to the throne. She's royalty. And she has a, a fortune and a palace, and she starts going to these royal balls and stuff, and her life begins to change in very major ways. Ancestors change lives, right? You, if you d get a new ancestor, in a sense, you get a new life, depending on who that ancestor is. Where we're going tonight is pretty simple. There's two ancestors named in our passage, Adam and Jesus, and we're going to look at them in turn, just one after the other, and kind of break it down. What that person, so first Adam, then Jesus, what he did, what took over when he did that, and what happened to his people. First for Adam, then for Jesus. And just want to give credit where credit is due. I'm acknowledging the influence of a pastor named Brian Habig in South Carolina. I listened to Brian preach a sermon on this exact passage. And I was like, okay, his outline is just the best possible way to outline the passage. I'm stealing it. And so, thank you, Brian, for stealing your outline. Um, the rest of the thoughts are mine, but the outline is definitely his. All right, so um, I did my whole not plagiarizing disclaimer. Let's pray before we jump in. Father God, we come to this passage and it invites us into uh, a world, a way of thinking that we are unfamiliar with. It doesn't come natural to us. It's not Western. And so we ask Jesus for your help in this cross-cultural endeavor that by your Holy Spirit, you would reveal to us truth that we would never have seen otherwise. And that that would change the way we think about anthropology, about ourselves, about our friends the way we treat people. Help us to see you, Jesus, and what you've done for us more clearly. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Once and for all, I'm getting these chords out of my way. There we go. That's mostly good. Just that. And there we go. Okay. First, Adam. What he did, what took over when he did that, and what happened to his people. So what he did. You see a reference in verse 14. The transgression of Adam... And then over and over and over throughout the passage, one man's trespass, one man's trespass, one man's disobedience. And then once it says one trespass, one individual sin. So that old word trespass, we still use it for a certain kind of law breaking. I think I see some trespassers out there maybe in the past. I've been a trespasser. I can tell you that story later. Um, we still see no trespassing signs. 
Just meaning this place doesn't belong to you. Don't go here. So Adam's trespass, what is that? So for, before I get there, one thing to note, if we treat Adam like a fictional character, like some kind of biblical myth, fictional literary creation, this whole passage is going to make no sense. This passage and the rest of the Bible treats Adam as like a real historical dude. And so you don't have to believe that, but that's what this passage is inviting us to believe. It's the way he speaks of him. It's the way I'm going to speak of him, so you know that. All right, so anyway, what was Adam's trespass? What did he do? So God made everything, and he made Adam and Eve, these two humans, and he gave them essentially everything. He said, this is your world now. Uh, go name the animals, cultivate, plant gardens, make it awesome, make it beautiful. Except for one thing he told them not to do, which was to eat of this one particular tree, which they knew where it was. He said, don't eat of this tree. On the day you eat of that tree, you will surely die. So this is like... I, this is going to offend people who are from Kansas. Who's from Kansas? Anybody? Oh, thank goodness. Okay, <laughs> okay, we're in the clear. This is like if I told you, hey, listen, Colorado is now your personal playground. You can go anywhere. No park access pass needed. Here's your skis. Here's your climbing gear. Whatever you want. Go enjoy Colorado. But just don't go into Kansas. And you are like, I wonder what's in Kansas. <laughs> and so you like step across the state line. It makes no sense because we've all been to Kansas, right? We've driven through that state. We know what it's like. Sorry, Kansas. Colorado's awesome. Kansas is slightly less awesome. Okay, so Adam and Eve make this nonsensical decision. And if we, if we think, okay, would I have done any better? Debatable, right? But they had everything and they give it up for this one thing that God told them not to do. That's his trespass. The interesting thing is that when he, when he does this, he doesn't immediately die, at least not physically, right? And so that right off the bat suggests maybe, okay, maybe the death that God is speaking of is not necessarily just physical death. What does happen immediately is God comes to him, he moves towards Adam, shows that he still cares about him, but he says, Adam, you've got to leave my presence. You can't be with me anymore in the same way. And so Adam and Eve experience spiritual death, separation from God, the source of life. Okay, I couldn't be with him anymore. We'll come back to that. But that's what he did. That's what Adam and Eve did. They sin against God and they experience uh, spiritual death, separation from him. I wonder how many more times that car alarm is going to go off. <laughs> is someone trying to break in? You need to check on this? Someone call Pub Safe. Just kidding, it's probably fine. All right, what took over when he did that? So that's what Adam did. What took over when he did that? Verse 12, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men. So it's like a series of doors. Adam became the door for sin, sin entered the world through him. And then sin was the door for death and death entered the world through sin, spreading to everyone. So this is like the traitor in the castle and the enemy is storming the gates and the traitor goes and opens the gate one person, but it ruins the whole thing for everybody because now the enemy is inside. It's not just that sin and death got into our world, though, and are like now part of it and we have to like live with them. It's not just the full story. Verse 17, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Death reigns now. And there's a sense in which sin and death and rebellion against God is now in charge of our world and we're born into it. Death took over through Adam's sin. So we all die. Humans all die. And we all begin life separated from God, the creator of life. That's like our, 
our unnatural natural state. We were created with God, so it's unnatural that we are like now separated from Him. But now, because of Adam, that's kind of the natural state of humanity. Okay, death reigns. That's what took over when he did what he did. So then, what happens to his people, Adam's people? Verse twelve. Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. So, the proof is all around us. Every human being dies. And not to pass too quickly over that, my dad died last December. Some of you here have friends who've died more recently than that. Like, this hurts. Death is not, like, we haven't made our peace with death. This is the worst possible outcome, but it's just the reality that we live in. So death is now a defining feature of our lives. And this is pinning that on Adam. Verse 16, the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. So now it's not just that we die, it's we also all stand condemned before God. Before we even do anything wrong of our own. Not only because of our own sin, but because when Adam sinned his first sin, the true reality of every person's eternal person became in, in a sense sinful because we were all in a sense in him represented by him he was the first one he's our great great granddaddy all of us verse 19 by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners so this is saying that you were born a sinner it, like it didn't have to wait until the first time you told your dad no or something or hit your brother like you were just born predisposed actually the reason my kids like punch each other in the face sometimes is because they were born sinners. And I love them. I say that with love. It's not like they're not incredible little human beings, but they are born sinners. <laughs> if any of you think that's not true, just wait till you have kids and then come back and tell me if you still disagree with me. So it's like you inherited a disease called sin and it's deadly and every human being has it. I think our first response to this is that's not fair, right? This doesn't feel fair. It wasn't me. It was Adam. And yet I get something wrong with me because of that? That's not fair. And yeah, it's not fair. But is it fair for some kids to have LeBron James' genetics and others not? Is it fair that some kids have a trust fund and others don't? Is it fair that some kids are genetically predisposed to cancer and others aren't? Is it fair that some kids are born in the USA and others are born in North Korea? Is it fair that one kid is born with HIV and another is not it's not fair it's just reality it's the reality we live in we all receive blessings or curses we don't deserve from people and events before our time so will we allow god's word to reframe our reality or reject it because it doesn't line up with our preferences of fairness i would just say don't be quick to reject it because if we reject this this concept like, I, I'm just not okay with inheriting something from someone that, like, I've never met. If that's unacceptable to you, the gospel will also be unacceptable to you. So let's turn to the second ancestor of our passage, Jesus. Jesus. What Jesus did. Skip to the end of the passage. Verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, we already talked about that, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life. For all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So what did Jesus do? Among all of his righteous acts, like he did he did all right. 
But among all of those things that he did, one thing stands above. The one act of righteousness, of obedience, that got something done for you and for me, for anyone who has faith. So on the tree of the garden, Adam ate the forbidden fruit. And on one cross, on Golgotha's hill, Christ drank the cup of God's wrath down to the dregs, taking full punishment for Adam's sin and for every sin that he ever did, that any of us have ever done or ever will do. And it cost him his life. So that's what he did. What took over when he did that? For if by one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. That's crazy. Don't miss that. First, death reigned in Adam, and now we expect it to say Jesus reigns. Of course Jesus reigns. But this is saying you reign. In Christ, you reign. Not death, you now. Verse 21 sums it up a little shorter. So that as death sin, as, as, sorry, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sorry, that's not on your, that's not on your handout, so don't look for it. It's not there. But it says, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what took over when Jesus did that? Grace. What took over? Those who receive that grace will reign in life. So if Jesus is king, he reigns. And if he's your ancestor, this is saying, one day you'll reign too. Because he's your ancestor. When Jesus comes back, you will reign with him in glory. And in the meantime, King Jesus reigns, and his reign looks like grace. Okay, this is not like some scary God on the throne that we have to be terrified of and nervous about. Like, I sure hope he doesn't notice what I did on the weekend. This is saying... When you think about how Jesus reigns, how the king of the universe, that's what reigning is, being on the throne, how the king of all things thinks about you, treats you like what his reign looks like, what it means for you, you need to imagine him wanting your good, wanting to give you good things, wanting to bless you with good things that you don't deserve, predisposed to forgive your sin and treat you better than you could ever earn. That's what grace looks like. What happens to his people? Okay, so Adam had children. We kind of know who they were. Like everybody who was just born a human being got Adam as their ancestor. That's kind of every single human being. Who is Jesus' descendant? Who gets him as an ancestor? Obviously, he had no children. So it's different. I'm just going to, I'm not going to back this up with scripture. We can talk about it later if you want to. But like to sum it up, we become God's children when Jesus gives faith and repentance to the people that he saves. And in that moment, he unites us to himself by the Holy Spirit. It's like relocating the eternal significance, <laughs> the true significance of your eternal person, relocating that is in Jesus now. That's where it is. You can think of it as a spiritual DNA transplant. Now I just got God's DNA. Didn't do anything to earn it. You just have it now. Transplanted. He's your ancestor now. If you were to like microscopically with Holy Spirit eyes look inside of a Christian, you'd be like, oh, God's DNA. He must be descended from Jesus. So, what happens to Jesus' people, those people, because of what he did? Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. 
Quick note, this is not saying universalism, everybody is saved. It says all men, but just before in the passage it talked about those who receive the free gift of grace, the free gift of righteousness. Okay, so we can come back to that. The entire scripture is pretty clear. Those who are saved receive Christ, and there's some who are not saved. Keeping on going. By his one act of obedience, Jesus made all those who believe in him righteous. Justified. We talked about it last week. He won for them, for you, eternal life. So that's what happens to his people. It's like all these, it's like these heist movies. Um, I was trying to remember. I think it's weird, some of these heist movies, like what they do to get access to the little vault or the secret room or the, the safe, right? And sometimes, probably like more than once, it's kind of a trope at this point, like there's one person that has the fingerprints that can biometrically unlock the safe. Right, and so the the thieves they find some kind of a way to like lift a fingerprint or sometimes get the skin off the fingers, which is gross and weird. But like they get the fingerprints of the person and like wear it on a glove, and then they can just go in and like boop and get in. And this is saying on the cross, Jesus gave you his fingerprints. He gave you his heart print, his mind print. It's just yours now. If you were to walk up to the this this isn't a thing, but like the access you know, pad of heaven and go boop, it would open for you. You're in because of Jesus. Perfect righteous, perfect righteousness, innocence before God of all wrongdoing. This is crazy good news, right? This is like kind of a get out of jail, jail free card. It's extravagant good news, shockingly good. All the stuff you've done that you never told anybody about because it's just too bad. Forgiveness and a perfectly clean record. It's just yours in Christ for those who believe. All those besetting sins that you can't stop doing, no matter how bad you feel about it, how much you promise yourself and other people you're going to stop, they make you think, Where, man, is this proof that I'm not even a Christian, that I can't even stop doing this sin? This is saying forgiven and a perfectly clean record every time. Yours in Christ for those who believe. All the failures and shortcomings and disappointments that you and others hate about yourself, drowned out with the loud pronouncement, righteous, perfect, beloved, the child that I love. This is yours in Christ for those who believe. So grace is on the throne. Sin is crouching at the door, but grace is on the throne, and he's already done everything necessary to make you right with God. There's just nothing more you could do that could make you more right. Nothing more you can do. None of the obedience that is called for, none of the following Jesus, none of the not doing bad things, none of that makes you more right with God. Two points of application. First, okay, we're kind of shifting gears here. The rest of it's just all application. First, um, I was listening to a podcast today. He listened to Joe Rogan. Anybody listen to Joe Rogan with me? Okay, a few. I like Joe Rogan. I like him. I think he's a good podcast host. I kind of want to meet him. Probably never will. That's sad. Anyway, Joe Rogan has this thing. Like, his perspective on the world is like, guys, it's not simple. Just, like, live and let live. Be a good person. Do what you should. Everybody agreed not to be a jerk, and we'll all be fine. Right? And based on what this passage is saying, live and let live is a woefully inadequate strategy to deal with the problems in the world. Because death reigns. Still, over people who are not in Christ, death, in a sense, reigns. There's somebody, like, ruling over this thing. So if you want a conspiracy theory, that's it. Like, death is there reigning, and live and let live is not going to go well for us. We need something better, something greater. Jesus, Jesus is that. Second application. 
Over and over in this passage, the phrase free gift is repeated five times. Righteousness, life, salvation, they're free gifts, not earned. He's making that point. So our lives should look super gracious. Where, do we, where is that like empowered or helped in this passage? Our anthropology has actually changed in this passage. Okay, so this is saying next time somebody is mean to you or lies about you to your friend or you're at a party drinking water and they make fun of you or um, you know, they make fun of you for coming to RUF or going to church or whatever bad thing happens to you, right? Next time somebody is mean to you in this way, we can be really patient with them because it is not just them making that decision. Every person without Jesus is under the Paul, under the influence of death, of the devil, of sin, which is reigning and has authority over people. This means when we go up to somebody and we share the gospel with them, they're like, that's crazy. That makes no sense. We're like, okay. In our head, I'll keep praying for you. But not like, I can't believe they didn't believe the gospel. It's like, why would they? Like, people only believe the gospel when Jesus like wakes them up. And that's his call, not ours. Until then, the gospel doesn't sound like life. It sounds like death to people because they're under the reign of the devil, of death. And he hates life. He hates the gospel. So we can be really, we can be really gracious. So like, it's just another version of like, everybody that you meet has been through something really hard. True. Like, really, really hard. They're actually enslaved to death. So we should be gracious. So with that person that you have in your mind right now that has been treating you wrongly and it's been hard for you to love them, use this as ammunition to like give you a little more grace towards them. That's our ancestor in Christ. We have a new ancestor. Escape from this bad story we don't want to be a part of into a new story that looks like life in Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you would lead us forward in grace. Um, all of us are just, we're different places with you, Jesus, different parts of our story with you. Some of us don't know you yet. Some of us have been following you for years. This is going to look different for each one of us, but we ask that you would make us more gracious. Make us more generous with our time, with our words, with our actions. Help us to love people well as we experience the love that you've loved us with by giving something we could never earn that we didn't deserve and rescuing us from death. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.